When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, Joe, thanks for coming on The Daily Wire. It's always brave for someone from the other side of the aisle to come on. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Now, I want to see you about Vladimir Putin. A lit guy. Don't even get me started. I'm working on getting Congress to give more arms to Ukraine. No, no, no. I was more interested in how he came to power. Well, Bill, it all goes back. It all goes back to, what's his name? Boris. Boris. Boris Johnson. You mean Boris Yeltsin? I mean, that sounds about right. You see, the Soviets and the, uh, the Cubans, well, they messed with Kennedy. Mr. President, that was the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 1960s. We're talking about Putin's rise to power in the early 2000s. Hey, look, this one's a bit above my pay grade. But you know who does know about this topic? The Mr. Mitchell History Podcast. If you just pause for seconds to give them a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it will massively help the podcast. Now I'll shut up and let P.Y. talk about Justice Crew. Gentlemen. Hello, Cam. Last week, we looked at the rise and fall of Boris Yeltsin. Mm-hmm. This week, we're looking at the rise of Putin to be the dictator of Russia. Before we look at the rise of Putin, mm. I think one big achievement that he did make before we look into everything else, 2018 World Cup. Mm. I thought it was a magnificent World Cup. It it was. It was. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it from home. Would have loved to have been there, mm. really. Mm. I remember there was, there was a bit of tension in the build-up. There was a lot of sort of like kind yep. of like hooliganism, a lot of kind of people worried mm. about like maybe sort of racist behavior and things. Will England play was one of the big ones. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I guess it like same thing that happened with Qatar, right? It, people... People discuss the idea of a boycott, but a World Cup's a World Cup and they're going <laughs> to... <laughs> Was it Norway who boycotted Qatar after they didn't qualify? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Respect. Yeah. Um, Respect to that. Yeah. Well, just when you were saying the rise and fall of Boris Yeltsin as well, it made me think of the Justice Crew song, Rise and Fall. <laughs> <laughs> a reference understood a by all of our... <laughs> yeah. Uh, international listeners. listeners. We, are, we are 75% Australian listeners, so look, I'm, I'm a big Is fan. Is Justice Crew not... Known globally. (laughs) (laughs) I have a really good memory of 2018 World Cup. It was when Russia equalized against Croatia in extra time. And this is my favorite line of commentary in any sport ever. Wow. Peter Drury just says- Give us a Peter Drury impression. Unfortunately, I can't. I can can do it. Can you deep fake? Okay, yeah, go. 
Oh, you got to... Russia gonna... will not retreat. Shakoyev takes the Yandes! Russia will not retreat! Throwing it back to the Battle of Stalingrad in... Is it... Oh, it's just... Was it... Yeah, that's the line. Right? That's the line. Yeah. That, uh, and was there was there anything else? I just remember that Russia will not retreat part. The one when when they knock out Spain in the round of sixteen, and Peter Drury's like, I think it was Yago Aspas who missed the crucial penalty, mm. and Peter Drury's like, and I can fail saves. Oh, I can't really can't. It's really mm. not my strong suit. The <laughs> yeah, Drury yeah. impression. That was a fantastic moment. Yeah, and the and also Dennis Chochev's goal. The uh, the boys are star. Is yes. that that goal? <laughs> He hasn't done anything since, has he? I'm yeah, no, yeah, he, he, he was the star he was. <laughs> in that moment. He was the star. What's your favourite Peter Drury line, Ben? I, I do remember that Roma have risen from their <laughs> ruins. Uh, but there's also a good one. Firmino, actually, probably my favourite is when Firmino scores. He's like, how dare you score like that <laughs> in the Premier League? <laughs> there's one where Gabriel Jesus was fouled in the box mm. um, by Manchester United players. It's like... Somehow Jesus is in the box with all the red devils. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a good He's, one. He scripted that. Like, that cannot um, be off the cuff. Yeah, yeah. Like. Hey, and I mean, fair play, right? Like what yeah. else does he do for the other yeah. <laughs> 40 hours of the week? <laughs> we'll get stuck into the actual topic of today, which is the rise of Putin. We will not be discussing Russia-Ukraine. We, fear, we figure that that is well and truly covered by mm. everyone in the media nexus. Yeah. Plenty of other good podcasts, I'm sure, out there that- that understand it a whole lot more than we do. <laughs> and I think the world's always a little bit tired of of people's hot takes on Russia, Ukraine. Yeah. So we're just going to focus on Putin from 2000. It's bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whoa. Controversial yet yeah. so brave. <laughs> so we are going to focus on Putin from 2000 to 2010, pretty much. Mm. That's going to be our basis of conversation. Okay. Now, we left with Vladimir Putin creating the United Russia Party in 2001. That basically meant that he had a majority in the Duma and that he was pretty safe and secure as president because he won on the first round, not even needing the second round of elections. So he's sitting pretty comfortably in 2001, but he is nowhere near a dictator. And he will have nowhere, at this point, he has nowhere near the level of power that he will go on to have. One of Putin's key campaign promises was that he would stamp out corruption and that he would put an end to the oligarch's reign of terror on the finance system. So that was one of Putin's big promises that he made on on his election campaign. And so after he became the president, he put a couple of oligarchs in his crosshairs. First was a guy called Vladimir Gazinsky. We discussed Gazprom in the last Mm. podcast episode. Huge, biggest gas company in Russia. Russia is the biggest supplier of gas in the world. So effectively, one of the most powerful companies, theoretically, in the world. Gazinsky, through corrupt means, acquired a 30% share in Gazprom. So there's no question that Gazinsky's corrupt and that he's acquired his wealth through immoral means. So Vladimir Putin accused Kaczynski of corruption and basically said he was improper in how he acquired the company. That is absolutely true. There's nothing wrong about mm. that statement at all. What Putin does is Gazinsky was the majority shareholder because he had 30% of the shares. The government still held a, a lot of shares in the company and they were kind of inactive in what they did with the company. They just had these shares, but the government didn't really do much apart from say, hey, we really don't want gas going to this country or this country or whatever. 
the, the government was largely inactive in Gazprom. So what Putin does is Putin uses his government, basically government treasury, to buy majority shares in the company. And then he ousts Gazinsky from Gazprom and basically mm. says, no, nah, you're out. And so because he's the majority shareholder, Gazinsky, he's now no longer the majority shareholder. Gazinsky is effectively powerless in Gazprom. So previously 30% was the majority shares. I don't know if Putin bought up all 70% was remaining, but he definitely bought up more than 50% of the remaining shares, making Gazinsky no longer the majority shareholder. Gazinsky also had a media company called Media Most. And Media Most had another TV channel called NTV. Different to MTV, I'm mm. sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it does make you very nostalgic. There's not enough YouTube channels or TikTok accounts or anything with TV at the end of it. <laughs> I really want to go back to like the early 2010s, late 2000s era mm. where everything was just like FIFA TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ben, kick, ben TV. Ben TV, yeah. Kick TV. And it is a really great time of life. Mike TV from Willy Wonka. Like it was just <laughs> everywhere. And so uh, sure enough, Media Most falls under the control of Putin. And now NTV is under the control of Putin. NTV becomes really pro-Putin. And they went from being quite critical of, of Yeltsin and then Putin to now being very supportive. Gazinsky is forced to flee to Spain. And basically, he kind of hangs out in Spain. And So, is he, is he wanted at this point or is he just not welcome, really? Well, he's, yes, not welcome. And he knows that his wealth is going to be chipped away at by the Russians. Yeah. The next guy is wanted. And his name is Boris Berezovsky. I should add, after the whole Gazinsky affair, Bill Clinton, who was president for the year 2000, and then 2001 was when Bush took over, uh, Bill Clinton started criticizing Russia at this point, saying that basically no one should be arrested for criticizing the Kremlin. And having been so close with Yeltsin, we're now starting to see Clinton put a bit of distance between himself and Putin. Mm. And the gulf is now starting to once again reopen. Mm. Next guy, Boris Berezovsky. Perhaps the most Russian name you could probably come up with for someone. I didn't know Boris was a Russian name, but... There you go. The more you know. BB. Yeah. Anyway, play on. He is an he was an oligarch critical of Putin. He had another media company and he had another TV channel called Channel One. Mm-hmm. He also had a $3 billion US net worth. So yeah. Yeah. he's the guy. Rich guy, again, acquired his empire through corrupt means. So we have Boris Berezovsky and Channel One is quite critical of Putin. Okay. Quite different to the UK Channel 1 that has... Is it in between us, UK Channel 1, I believe? I don't think so. Uh, I think it's Channel 4. Channel 4. Yeah. Well, But it's the same way Channel 9 is a TV channel. It's not like this guy just kind of speaking, like it, doing a YouTube video. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's also <laughs> Boris Berezovsky's going straight to the press himself. Yeah, yeah. But in the same way that, say, like, okay, Peter Costello is the leader of Channel 9, yeah. ultimately... Sorry, leader of of Nine Fairfax and head of Nine Fairfax. Ultimately, the buck kind of stops with him in terms of what gets aired and what doesn't. And his people are in charge of that. And so it could all be traced back to him. Yeah. They're not going to do something that clearly goes against Peter Costello's vision and initiatives. Mm. And so Boris Berezovsky, he actually gets called in for questioning by the Russian government. And Boris Berezovsky then flees to the UK claiming political asylum. And he remains in Britain until he dies. So, so what what was he wanted for? Corruption. Yeah, okay. Yep. And so, it's interesting. You look at it, it's like, was Putin right? 100%. These are corrupt guys. Mm. Did Putin want to get them for corruption? 
Probably not. Mm. Uh, probably because they posed a threat to his kind of political ambitions. And also he did promise on neutralizing the oligarchs. So which oligarchs do you go after? Well, the ones that are going to be most detrimental to you. Mm-hmm. And so he's played this pre- pretty much to perfection here. He also goes after the richest oligarch of all the Russians, Mikhail Khodorkovsky. And by this point, the Russians are getting the message and the oligarchs are getting the message that Putin is pretty much out for us. And Putin is going to neutralize the oligarchs. But again, why was Roman Abramovich sanctioned during the invasion? He was mates with Putin. So, yeah, you've got a situation where you've got... If Putin is anti-oligarch, how has it ended up in a situation where Roman Abramovich is on on good terms with Putin, so much so that the British government sanctions him personally for his relationship to Putin? And that's because basically a truce was made between Putin and the remaining oligarchs. Putin says, as long as you don't pretty much go after the government and as long as we're on good terms, you can kind of keep your empires, but we're kind of going to slow down the corruption massively. Corruption's over. You can keep what you have, but we can't take this any further. We're going to try and slow down the corruption as much as possible. Mm-hmm. In return, you support me. You don't oppose me. And we can kind of leave each other alone and have a non-aggression pact. And they take mm. it. Roman Abramovich was one of them. Yeah. And so then Abramovich and Putin start to grow closer and become more in bed with each other mm. when it was looking like Putin could get rid of them. So Putin basically made three sacrificial lambs and then went for the remaining oligarchs and built a system of trust with them. Putin also did one other thing. So the Duma, right? So the Russian parliament, it was stacked with all sorts of political parties. In Australia, we've got Liberal, Labour, Greens got a few seats, and then the UAP might get one seat in the Senate. One Nation might get one seat in the Senate. It's very much a two-party system. Mm. America is entirely a two-party system. Russia is loaded with all sorts of different parties. And so all these coalitions are being made between these little parties and there's no clear majority party in Russia. So what Putin does, so he's already made the coalition to make the United Russia Party and that's kind of consolidated a lot of groups together. What he does is he bans political parties from running for an election if they have under 10,000 members. So he's like, if you can't recruit 10,000 members to your political party, you do not run an election. Okay. And the rationale behind this is so that parliament doesn't become diluted with all these different parties so that nothing gets done. Yeah. In practice, it helps consolidate his power a lot because it removes grassroots opposition and the foundation of new political parties. And so what used to be 180 parties that could theoretically get a seat in the Duma now becomes 100. And so, again, neutralizes the opposition and waters down their power. The Russian economic situation... Under Boris Yeltsin, how would you describe it? Mm, bit of a mess. A lot of... Mostly bad. Yes. <laughs> a lot of, uh, except for, for 100 or so people who yeah. who profited greatly. But a lot of the common men suffering as a result. Yeah. Under Putin, it gets really good. And oh. so there's a huge minerals boom at the start of the 2000s. It's, it's good timing for Putin to be coming in because there's a huge minerals boom. Russia, obviously, huge landmass pretty hard not to be rich in some sort of natural resource considering mm. the huge landmass that it has. And it massively profits off the huge minerals boom. So what Putin does is then Putin has got all this extra capital coming into the country. He then trebles the budget of the secret police mm. and he starts funding the secret state that kind of resembled the Soviet Union a lot more. Government positions. What Yeltsin did was Yeltsin made a huge 
political mistake of filling roles in the executive government. So like foreign policy minister, oh, sorry, foreign minister and so forth. He picks people out of the Duma that were his allies to fill those positions. What that did was that watered down the Duma with his supporters. So what Putin does is Putin actually puts people from a security background, so his boys that he used to work with, into those key positions. And increasingly, the government positions are being filled with ex-security people. They're not only his allies, but they also have a background in secret police and in the security state. And this is also going to help Putin kind of consolidate power and create something more of a terror state than existed under Boris Yeltsin as the political power of the security agencies massively increased. And that becomes a little bit more like the CIA in America or the FBI in America. And the secret security state becomes much more strong in Russia. So imagine you're a Russian going into the 2004 election. Just put yourself in shoes of any of of a Russian who's lived through the last 15 years since Mm. the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm. Who are you voting for? Communist Party or Putin? Well, so you're saying Putin's like things are already sort of looking up in terms of Putin, like mm-hmm. so the minerals boom is kind of ongoing at that point. Yeah, 2004, they're right in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's if, a it, choice. if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I, I guess, is yes. probably the mentality. Exactly. And so Putin smashes it in the 2004 election with 71% of the vote. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's like, we're talking like, that's what ScoMo got in, uh, in Cook, I think, in the last <laughs> election. <laughs> yeah. And so, again, a lot of people are like, like a lot of people make the comment of, oh, those poor Russians... They're forced to, like, you know, suck up to Putin and they're forced to pretend they love Putin. It's like, no, they actually do. Hmm. That's not it's not me justifying anything that Putin's done. That's just, they love Putin because in their eyes, he rescued them from poverty. Yeah. Mm. We have no concept of how Stability. bad it was in the 1990s for them. Yeah. Worse than the Great Depression in America. And so Putin smashes it in 2004 and he is super popular in Russia. Hmm. And now he's neutralized the oligarchs. Now he's increased the security state to be much more powerful. He has then got a mandate to basically rule Russia with near dictatorial power from then onwards. It is worth adding that not all was positive. So in 2000, there was a nuclear submarine called the Kursk that mysteriously sunk. So 118 crew members vanished. Vladimir Putin was on vacation. He doesn't come back from vacation Feel the crisis. Oh no! Hey, we've <laughs> now this sounds familiar. <laughs> was probably working pretty hard. Needed a break. <laughs> yeah, Were you that. in Scomo's corner when Scomo didn't come back for the bushfires? Is that? Um, I don't think. I, I thought he maybe should have perhaps come back. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Defends Vladimir Putin, does not defend Scott. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Jake is pro-Russia confirmed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Grand ploy to get Russia back in the World Cup. This is... <laughs> yeah, he just wants to see Russians play tennis again. <laughs> oh, seriously, don't even get me started on Medvedev not being able to play at Wimbledon. So, <laughs> in 2002, there were... So, the Chechens kind of continued their terrorist attack. Think of the Chechens. So the Russians viewed Chechens the way Europe viewed ISIS in the mid-2010s. Just this ever-present threat. They might blow us up at some point. Right, yeah. Anyone who can deal with Chechens is God to us. So there was a situation where Putin actually failed with the Chechens. So in a, in a Moscow theater, about 850 Russians were held hostage by roughly around 40 to 50 Chechens. And they basically said, hey, we need demands. I won't unpack all the demands, but they're mainly territorial and increased power for the Chechens. 
Putin was like, no, stuff you. And just said, like Putin thought he could wait them out. And he was like, if they shoot the hostages, they, they lose their leverage. They're not going to do it. Fortunately, 129 of those hostages were killed. Wow. And Putin's popularity takes a bit of a dint after that because he was seen as playing too hardcore. And he's, they love him because he's ruthless with the Chechens, but they're starting to think, okay, maybe he should have made some concessions there and maybe he should have negotiated because now 129 people in Moscow, it's not out in Siberia, not in any faraway places that aren't mm. near the epicenter of Russian politics. In Moscow, 129 people are killed. Mm. Yeah, not a good... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Look, I'm going to get all the coins. Hey, Sonic, why do you actually spend your whole life trying to get coins? I want to join the Mr. Mitchell Patreon to listen to the exclusive podcast. Dude, it's just $1.50 a month. Oh, really, man? My entire life is a lie. So we're coming on to Putin's term two. Term two is probably the worst term of the year. What makes you say that, do you think? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's either two or three. Yeah, I think yeah. I think three's in for a good shout as well. Um, like you're usually, sort of like mm. near the end, but still a long way to go. Yeah. It's sort of like what Thursday is to the week. Got to wear a winter right. uniform. Yeah. Term two and three. Yeah, this is true. I mean, at the high school parent I went to, the huge socks that we wore for summer actually no probably good. made. Yeah, yeah. No. winter was probably better actually. Mm. Yeah, we did. We had, our uniform didn't actually change. Oh, we, really? We had the same, same uniform. Wow. The girls changed, but the boys was just the long pants. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. There's something the in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, play on. So, term two for Putin was a little bit rough. But he kind of, you know how when, with ScoMo, with the bushfire crisis, he kind of got a second bite of the cherry straight away with COVID. Yeah. Like it was literally like, oh, you stuffed up massively mm. with Australia's, probably Australia's biggest crisis, at least in federated history. And then it's like, okay, one month later, that's been toppled by something else. Mm. And here's your, here you go, another chance to make yourself a hero in the eyes of the Australians. And... It's an unbelievable phrase. It's like getting out of a no ball in cricket. It's like, no, nah, come back to the crease. <laughs> and... Putin gets that too. So basically, <laughs> after his 2004 election, Chechen terrorists took over a school in Beslan, taking 1,100 students and adults as hostage. Wow. 1,100. That is, that's a lot. Yeah. And so basically, after three days, Russian security it's forces- causing a lot of trouble, aren't they? The Chechens, <laughs> yeah, are proving to be. <laughs> they trouble, want their independence. troublemaker. That's your middle name. <laughs> So, <laughs> it's kind of uh, a bluesy feel to that. 
After three days, Russian security forces stormed the school and 300 were killed. So a combination of, of Chechens. Out of those 300 that were killed, there were 186 school children that were killed. Wow. Mm. Are these, is this a, like a K-12 school? Is this... I'm assuming, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, did they... So it could be six-year-olds, could be 18-year-olds. Not that that changes oh, yeah, yeah. anything. So like, the two, but, like, yeah, like, think, yeah. Yeah, think six to 12. And so... Wow. Obviously, this massively stokes the anti-Chechen sentiment that's in Russia already. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's a tragedy that 196 children have been killed. That mm. one isn't on Putin, though. Because yeah. he's not, he's, it's not yeah. a hostage negotiation situation that he's botched. It was the security forces. Okay. So what Putin does is Putin's like, well, we need more, more money for the security forces. We need I to see. resource ourselves much better than what we already are because we're in for a huge crisis against the Chechens. Yeah. Mm. Does he also go think of the 700, 800 people that didn't die? I don't, that, I don't think um, that, would, that probably would have been a smart tactic. No, no, it wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. Have, have either of these... 73% not about that. Yeah. <laughs> five out of seven. Yeah. <laughs> don't that's, like when you got five out of seven That's, like, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Cam, have you seen Breaking Bad? Yes. Um, you know, we it, discussed this on another podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I forget who I have these conversations with. I just I talk <laughs> just about it. So with, many podcasts. <laughs> with, yeah, with, I'll talk with anyone who wants to listen about Breaking Bad. I think, but it's like the scene. Um, I don't know if you remember the scene when he gives the speech in front of the school about the the plane crash, and he's like, "It's like not even the worst plane crash in the state that's ever happened. <laughs> and it's like nineteenth that ever happened in the country, kind of thing. And the planes weren't even full. So, <laughs> I don't, yeah." I remember the plane crash. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah. Breaking Bad in like 10 yeah, years. It's, it's like- I don't remember the speech. It's one of the- It's like probably like one of the worst scenes up with, you know, the happy birthday to Ted uh, scene. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the most uncomfortable. But anyway, that remind that made me think of when we're talking, well, what about the five <laughs> of seven that didn't- <laughs> And it's like, it reminds me of those, you know, those people that try and make the really profound point of the news only covered as covers negative issues, the news should cover more positive issues. <laughs> like, what about all the buses that safely made it to their school? <laughs> Like, what are your expect? Like, I'm pretty anti-mainstream media. I'm sorry, that is not one of my criticisms <laughs> of the mainstream media. That they don't cover enough good news stories. So, yeah, Putin basically uses this as a basis to massively up the funding of uh, the FSB. So, the FSB kind of replaces the KGB as the inner security circle, and he basically massively increases their funding. So, now, by 2006, Putin has a huge mandate to actually go on and to rule Russia with dictatorial power, even more so now that the security forces have been funded. There's a little bit more to the story than that, though. Because we're now going to go to a guy called Alexander Litvinenko. He was an ex-FSB member, and he... So FSB was kind of like downstream from the KGB, so think of him as ex-KGB if that helps. He fled for England in the year 2000, and he alleged that the Beslan hostage crisis was an inside job. Sorry, which which crisis was that again? The school one. The school one. Yeah. That again, so many parallels here between nine eleven and the Chechen hostage crisis in terms of what it does for Bush versus what it does to Putin. Yeah. Litmanenko alleges that it's an inside job. He's ex security and he's living in England right now. The story takes another twist when in November of two thousand and six. Litvinenko is killed by a poison called polonium-210. Mm. And he's dead by poison. Wow. Huge whodunit here. 
Yeah. So the British never accused Putin, but they accuse a security agent called Andre Lugovoy and basically demand that he be extradited from Russia to the UK to stand trial. They don't accuse Putin directly, but they accuse Lugovoy. Yeah. Putin doesn't extradite Lugovoy over. Mm, sauce. Yes. There's also another political murder here. So a Putin critic by the name of Anna Politskovkaya, she- Cam, to stop you there, you've, you've been killing it on the Russian names <laughs> this, this week and last week. I'm very impressed. <laughs> well, thank you very much. What we didn't just- well, what I edited out then was the five takes that I had to try to get that. <laughs> so, in October of 2006, she was murdered and she, like, the, the murder was pretty brutal. So, she was shot in an elevator twice to the chest, once in the shoulder, once in the head at point blank range. Wow. And so, she is killed. And so, from 2006. So, and so, so, she's a critic in the sense of, like, what's her what's her job? Like- is she a, in politics? Is she in the media? Oh, media, yeah. Yeah. It's news, like newspaper columnist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she, like, sorry, not like, yeah, her job isn't like a Putin critic. Like, the, No, no, like, I get that. Critic. But like, is she just a, a grassroots one or is she a more, it sounds like she's more mainstream. Yeah, yeah. not like the one from Ratatouille. Okay, I've got that <laughs> I have something to say about Ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> so the main character's name is Linguini the, with the red hair. Yes. What, what kind of a name is that? <laughs> in Paris, Linguini is a type of pasta, Italian, and he's a, a Parisian <laughs> chef, and his dad is Gusto. <laughs> really keeping with the somber um, tone. <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. I was the one that brought Ratatouille into the conversation. So, something to think about. Yes. Litvinenko and Politskovkaya are now dead. And so global questions are starting to rise about Putin. And again, initially, the West was pretty happy to have Putin because he was the non-communist guy. By the year 2006, the West does not fear the rise of the Soviet Union again. That is theoretically so far from the realms of possibility that America and Britain have absolutely no issues and no concerns that the Soviet Union will once once again rise. So Putin, who was initially a useful political tool in beating the Communist Party... Well, now he's gone so far rogue and he's doing his own thing and he's acting independently and he's not kind of the puppet that Boris Yeltsin appeared to be for the Americans that they're starting to have some pretty huge issues with him and huge concerns are growing around Putin. And now he's becoming much more notorious in the eyes of everyone else. During this era as well, 2007, Boris Yeltsin dies. And so it's clearly Putin who's now got the mantle of Russia. So 2005. Putin makes a Kremlin speech and Putin says that the collapse of the USSR was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe mm. in the 20th century. He's fond of the, the USSR. Yeah. So it seems I'm trying to think of a, a greater political catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Jake Scott's political. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 too soon. Too soon. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what? <laughs> if Nathan Bracken doesn't win oh. <laughs> his terror, what's, what's his central coast? Is it the entrance? The entrance, I think it was. What was his, um, what was his sort of catchphrase? Oh, yeah. I can't remember. Let's get cracking, Nathan Bracken. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think that was it. I no, think- he's got to be better than that. That's <laughs> so 1980s. Don't catch me lacking, <laughs> Nathan Bracken. <laughs> I watched, I went through Nathan Bracken's Instagram. Oh, he was Instagram. like my favorite bowler as well. Guys. And, oh, it, Sorry, yeah, play. No, say, say, say. It's, it's I'm back in Nathan Brack. <laughs> oh, no. And he's standing outside of school 
with this other state politician I don't know the name of, and they're clearly from the untrained branch of the party, so clearly like not well-trained with all the gloss and all the media stuff, mm. and they're doing the, under Dominic Perrottet, our plan for the schools, they're trying to like do that sort of thing. Yeah. They're fumbling over their words. <laughs> and yeah. They they can't get one sentence out cleanly and it's windy, it's blowing, you can barely hear them. It's such a budget political ad that's oh. an absolute train wreck. Look, Nathan Bracken, great fast bowler. Handy with the bat as well. Not a bad batsman for, yeah. for a fast bowler. Oh, he's got tr- incredible hair as well. And Nathan Brackman on Ricky Ponting Cricket 05 was quite, <laughs> quite the fast bowler. But yes, Putin said the collapse of the USSR was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. That doesn't necessarily mean that he wants communism back. It just means that we were this really powerful country and we collapsed because we didn't, we weren't taking care of ourselves and we weren't implementing sound economic policy. And we were kind of getting screwed over by the West. And he's like, that's not going to happen again. He's not saying let's bring back communism. Hmm. He's saying just the fact that we had a Russian empire that fell, that is really bad. Okay. And so what a lot of people do is when Putin invaded Ukraine... What do people say is his motive? Well, it was like a sort of a reunification of, of Russia, wasn't it? That they mm. claim that Ukraine was a, a Russian state. Yes. And it's presented as very ideological. Yeah. That Putin wanted to rebuild the USSR. And they often quote this speech as evidence for that. I'm not sold on that at all. I, If you look at what Putin says, Putin hasn't said anything about rebuilding the Soviet Union. We won't go too much into the Ukraine stuff. But what he's saying is about NATO expanding eastward. He doesn't mention rebuilding the Soviet Union. He doesn't mention the Ukraine being rightfully Soviet or anything like that. And again, it's the same thing as like, say, like take Bin Laden, for example. What do people say was Bin Laden's motive for 9-11? Have you heard of this one? That Bin Laden hated freedom and he wanted to attack a symbol of freedom? Maybe you haven't. Um, I mean, I could see how that would be the narrative you'd, you'd construe. But I don't know. Was he just a... Was it like a, a westernization of his country is that what he sort of disliked totally so particularly israel yeah and he was like look america's just funding israel the israelis are killing arabs particularly in lebanon and he cites lebanon as one of the 1980s israel were conducting a lot of bombing attacks on innocent lebanese and so it's interesting when the west was presenting bin laden's rationale they never used his words of course i'm not saying that bin laden was justified or anything like that clearly it was a hugely evil attack i shouldn't have to clarify that mm. But no one represented him through his words. They used the words, like they used basically a bastardization of his argument. Same thing for Putin. No one is using Putin's words when they're explaining what Putin wants here. Again, I'm not saying Putin's justified. I don't like the fact that he invaded Ukraine. Obviously, I shouldn't have to clarify that. But often Mm. you get accused if you say anything that's kind of remotely nuanced about Russia-Ukraine, you get tarred with being anti-Ukraine and supporting violence and all that sort of stuff, which I don't. I'm really anti-war. But... No one uses Putin's words. They use this bastardization that he wants to rebuild the Soviet Union and they kind of go to the 2005 Kremlin speech for that. The reason why I think we need to use Putin's words is because Putin has been saying this since 2007. So at a Munich security conference in 2007, Putin said NATO should honor its commitment to not expand any further eastward than it is already. Do not incorporate Ukraine into NATO. Do not incorporate any Eastern territories that are near our border into NATO because that was the agreement that was given in the fall of the Soviet Union. NATO existed to counter the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union fell, the agreement was that NATO wouldn't move any further eastward. And he is saying this as early as 2007. And so 
as Putin's kind of going on about this, the West is now becoming really anti-Putin because he's literally calling out the symbol of Western alliances in Europe, NATO. And the West is like, crap, we could have the wrong guy here. We thought he was our guy potentially at the beginning and he has gone really far rogue from what we wanted. Do you remember how many, like what was the term limit for Russians in office as president? It was two, wasn't it? It was two terms. Yeah, that's why that's why Boris was gone. Two four-year terms, same as America. Mm-hmm. So Putin was first elected in 2000. He was re-elected in 2004. So when should he have been out of office? 2008. Wow. The Beijing Olympics. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's correct. Good maths, good maths. So Putin, right, obviously... He's quite quite young, still in his political career. Doesn't want to step down at that point, and he wants to retain like retain his power. So Putin, what he does, he constitutionally he cannot run again. That's mm. that's that set in stone. There's no way around it. So what Putin does is Putin resigns as president. A new guy called Dmitry Medvedev, not to be confused with Daniel Medvedev. Mm. Dmitry Medvedev steps forward as the new presidential candidate for the United Russia Party. Mm-hmm. And he gets to choose the prime minister. Because remember, president chooses the prime minister. Mm. So who does Medvedev choose to be his prime minister? Vladimir. Vladimir Putin. And so in 2008, he has this big campaign that says, together we stand, United Russia Party. Putin's my guy. We're going to keep the stability that Putin has brought to this country. It is also worth noting that Putin did a number of economic things that helped. So he increased the support of the tech industry. So again, why are Russia really good at hacking? Because all this money was thrown at the Russian tech industry. So, for example, software exports were around about 184 million US dollars in 2001. By 2006, they were worth 1.5 billion. Mm. So, by tenfold, that industry has exploded in five years under Putin. Mm. So, that's kind of helped the economy a lot. You have gas being number one in the world, oil being number two in the world. Any guesses who Russia is second to in oil production? Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. That's what I was thinking too. And so, that, like the minerals boom, they're kind of flying with that what putin does is he actually keeps a lot of money in reserve around about 2007 and basically he keeps like a lot of money in the russian bank accounts and this is really good timing because in 2008 it's the jfc so then putin can just bring out his reserve that he's kind of kept and put that back into the economy Mm -hmm. and by 2009 the russian economy is looking pretty okay so going into 2008 putin is still pretty popular and he's still done an absolute masterclass in convincing the public that he is far better than Boris Yeltsin ever was. And for the Russians, they have plenty of food on their table now, which they didn't in, in the 90s. Hmm. So going into the 2008 election, Medvedev wins. In 2011, Medvedev announces that he will not contest for re-election as president, who becomes the United Russia Party's presidential candidate in 2011, <laughs> going into the 2012 election. Vlad is back. Vlad is back. So you can do more than two terms, but just not consecutively. Is that yes. what you're saying? Okay. So just a little kind of little hiatus when really nothing's changed. Exactly. And, and as prime minister, he was really running the country anyway. Yeah. Was the other guy like a real just kind of, he'd just roll over and let Vladimir do what he yeah, wanted? Yeah, it was totally yes, man. Yeah. So Medvedev steps down in 2011 and now the constitution has been changed so that rather than having four-year terms, they're now six-year terms. Mm. And so Putin gets re-elected in 2012 in 2018, World Cup's happening in Russia. Putin stands for re-election again. He wins. And now his term is going to expire in 2024. And again, given the nature of the war, 
I highly doubt that he will be stepping back in 2024. Yeah, unlikely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's able to kind of get around this two-term limit now. He'll either do the prime minister trick again, yeah. which is what I assume, or there might be some sort of constitutional change to accommodate for the exceptional circumstances of the war. Yeah. He might be given emergency powers that might delay it seems, yeah. an election. Seems pointless. Just yeah, he's not like, going anywhere. Like, <laughs> I think, yeah, my guess is that death will get him first or illness mm-hmm. will get him first. So, Vladimir is he, Putin. Is he unwell? Is he sick? Well, there's all the conspiracy theories that he's got cancer because he's got like a super swollen face. Mm. And I listened to too many podcasts mm. with people who had no qualification <laughs> discussing <laughs> Putin's medical <laughs> conditions. Yeah. Some, some said that he has par- that he has Parkinson's. How um, old is he now? 76, oh, really? I'm going to guess. Yeah, wow. Well. Nope, I'm way wrong. He's 70. Yeah. Okay. Six years younger than what wow. I thought. Youthful. So, yes. Vlad came back in 2012 and he's been there ever since. It's good to kind of um, just contextualize what's going on in Russia now and just see, like, I didn't really know about the, uh, the difficult times in the 90s. Mm. Yeah, I think, obviously you know, growing up in the 2000s, like this was, Putin was kind of just all you ever knew, that there's mm. there's no understanding of a time before Putin. Um, and so the war comes about and all we ever know is all we've ever been told here in the West. Um, so, yeah, really interesting to see how, how events unfolded to lead us to where we are today. And really, if you have grandparents that were alive in the 30s, you can see the depression mentality impact them so just things like if you were to like say keep the change at a macca's drive-thru they would be like are you kidding me Mm. that's 80 cents like why are you just giving that away to uh these huge corporations because they grew up in in the great depression when money was at such a premium and if that has affected their mentality 70 years down the track and that is still their presiding mentality 70 years down the track most russians who are active in the political system today and most russians who contribute to the political process have a consciousness of what happened in the 90s either through lived experience, which would be still most of them, or at the very least, their parents telling them their stories of how they were broke. And if that's, if from the 30s, we can see the impacts and say our grandparents today, or depending how old you are listening to this, could even be your parents. Imagine the impact that that would have for people who lived through it that are mostly still alive today, or for people who have uh, relatives who lived through it and kind of pass on their stories of them not being able to get bread. And so obviously when Putin makes Russia rich again, he's going to have incredible popularity and not to mention that he deals with the Chechens and he yeah. kind of takes the fight to the Chechens and stands up to them. Could be an inside job discussion for another day, discussion for probably a different podcast, but yeah. Do you think, um, like how fair do you think the elections were in the 2000s and 2010s in Russia? Cause I think we often... I remember hearing recently about, like, wasn't there like a, there was like some survey of the Russian people done where two soldiers would go up to each door and ask them whether they supported the war and the people would give an answer. And so it's like, well, that's obviously, you're not going to get a fair picture of Russian sentiment. But at the same time, do you know anything about how, well, it sounds like he is still very popular in Russia, contrary to what we might be led to believe over here. Yeah, I think the two can coexist. I think mm. there can be a lot of intimidation, but also the fact that he's really popular. And also Russians have a completely different moral framework because, again, we've grown up with like liberal democracy being taught as the best form of government for 
what, 200 years now. Mm. Whereas in Russia, they're taught their kind of maxim or their, their, their framework for a good government isn't how much freedom can you have over choices in your own life. It's how strong can we collectively be as a country and how well can we actually make sure that everyone is cared for in our society and that people don't get left behind at the expense of people being really industrious and making a lot of money. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if there were intimidation tactics used in polling or even in elections, but I think it's very fair to say that Putin still is incredibly popular Mm. for making them rich. Also, it's so tough to tell the news, like any news coming out right now about Russia, Ukraine, it's just so hard to delineate fact from fiction because we look back at World War II at some of the blatant propaganda of like Germans bayoneting babies in mass groves in Belgium. There probably were one or two cases of that happening. But the, the news reporting in Britain was that Germans were bayoneting babies. And that was the commonly held mm. conception at the time. Yeah. And we look back and we're like, well, that's ridiculous that they believe that. It's like, well, what are we being fed? It might be true. My, I, my finger's off the pulse when it comes to the validity of yeah. stories coming yeah. out of Russia. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to answer your question mm. if they weren't 100% plain and fair. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you, Cam. Thank you for another good walkthrough. I am keen for your Cheers. walkthrough as we go to the Patreon. Yeah. Mm. Wow. How very exciting. We'll see you all there. For just $1.50 a month. Well, there we have it. Didn't we all learn a little bit about Vladimir Putin? If you missed last week as much as you missed me being on Top Gear with the Stig, check out the podcast the boys did on Boris Yeltsin. To catch the Patreon exclusive, you can click the link in the description to sign up for just $1.50 a month. That's cheaper than a 420 traveler pie.